as a soccer player, I still play soccer. I don't know if I consider myself a soccer player still. Um, I had one or two years that I played basketball. I played for the Mustang Hawks, and I was not very good. I, I wasn't very good. I, I ran into uh, a friend of mine, Levi, a couple of years ago, whose dad was my coach, and we were reminiscing about playing basketball, and, and he said, yeah, you drove my dad crazy. He said, you were the hardest person to coach ever. Um, and this kind of threw me off because I'm generally pretty likable to most people, especially older, you know, adults. And so I thought, well, that's unusual. Um, but as he and I were talking about it, it, it came from my soccer experience. You see, in soccer, you want to move to the open space so you can get the ball and then do something really great with it. In basketball, my basketball coach would draw up plays so that I would get out of the open space so that the guy that we needed to catch the ball could catch it and do something great. I would stand there and go, I should probably go to that open space. And then I would steal my own teammates' pass and miss the shot, and the game would continue, and I would get subbed pretty quickly. Um, and so the aspects of basketball, and those of you that have seen me play in our March Madness basketball tournament are sitting here going, you don't need to tell us. We've seen it. We understand what you're talking about. Um, but the parts of the sport that are um, very skill-based, the things like dribbling and the shooting and the such, uh, are not skills I've really ever developed. Um, but rebounding was something that I've always felt like I can get my head around. I can always do rebounding. Because with rebounding, you don't really have to have as much skill. You just have to have a little bit of technique and want the ball more than the other person. And the key to getting the ball is once it comes off the rim is if you want it the most, you have to get as big as you can and back this other guy out so that the ball is in front of you where you can get it and he cannot. That's boxing out. And it's as close as I ever got to developing a skill in basketball. Uh, it just is. Uh, and so there it is. That's the one skill that, that maybe I developed. And when you're boxing out, you have to be so focused on the ball and making sure that you get it and nobody else can. That's the entire purpose of that exercise and that activity and that skill in basketball. You know, there's a number of people here that actually are much better at basketball than I can. And even if they're smaller than me, they know this technique of being able to get big and push me out so well that even if I'm bigger and stronger than them, I'm not going to get the ball today because they understand how to do this thing. We're going to look at a few stories today where some of Jesus's followers do a pretty good job of boxing out when people are trying to see Jesus. We're going to start in Luke chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 5. This is early in Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel. And in Luke chapter 5, on this occasion, uh, we read that one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came paralyzing, uh, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. I want you to imagine that you were there on this day when Jesus is teaching in this house and people have come from villages all over Galilee and they've traveled near and far, Pharisees, teachers of the law, villagers, and they've traveled and they've come as far as they can because they've heard that the Lord was with Jesus and he was doing incredible things and they want to see what this Jesus can do and they want to hear the teachings that this Jesus is giving to them. And so as they get there, this house begins to fill up and the crowds keep pushing in because if you're not in the house, you don't have access to what's going on with Jesus and the people who are listening to him and watching him and talking to him and learning from him. And these people have done so much so that they can be able to be near to this rabbi who has God's presence with him and they just want more. But there's this particular group of friends that knows that this friend of theirs who is a paralytic, who is lame, who has not been able to walk, that he can't get into the house. And that the only chance he has to get to see Jesus is if they pick up his mat and they carry him to Jesus. And they pick him up and they carry him and they get to the house and they're not the first ones there. In fact, a lot of people are there before them. The house is full. Don't you know that they would have said, uh, we often just skipped so they went up on the top and they lowered him through the roof. But how long do you have to say, excuse me, let us in, excuse me, let us in, before someone says, I've got a better idea, they're not letting us in, let's try the roof. Don't you poke on their shoulders for a little while? Don't you try the windows first? Don't you try the back door before you go and say, it looks like the roof is our only shot? And as they go to this door and they're, they're poking on the people's shoulders in front of them saying, our friend is lame. If you can just get in to see Jesus, Jesus can heal him and he'll be able to walk. Please let us in. And the answer from the people in front of them is, go away. Leave us alone. I was here first. And they boxed him out. You can't get in here. Because if I let you in front of me, you're going to get my spot, and then I'm going to be on the outside, and I want to be closer to this man, Jesus. I got here on time. You're late. No, you can't come in here. I've already got my seat to learn from Jesus today. You can't come in. So they go to the roof. They remove the tiles, and they lower their friend in. And suddenly, this room that had no room for anyone else, has room for a paralyzed guy. 
And Jesus tells them, your sins are forgiven. And the people get upset and say, who is this guy to say something like that? And he says, let me show you what kind of guy I am to say something like that. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And he gets up and he takes his mat. And here's what I love, is I don't know how long those friends spent trying to get in the door and being told, you can't come in here. We're busy listening to the teacher. But as soon as he stands up for the very first time in his life and he rolls up his mat, he doesn't have any problem getting out that door, does he? That crowd just parts. And he walks out praising and giving glory to God because of what God has done in his life through Jesus. We really need to be careful because the reality is that there's many of us who sometimes when we come to church are so busy wanting to learn about Jesus and be close to Jesus that when there's someone else behind us who needs access to Jesus more, we kind of go, no, 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 no. I was here on time. I'm here to learn about the teacher. I'm here to be close to the rabbi who is doing incredible things. No, you can't have my spot. So you just... Stay back. We box out. We box out the people who need Jesus the most. Not because we're of Satan, not because we're evil, not because uh, we're uh, trying to inflict harm on the people who are behind us, but because we can be so focused on getting the one thing that we need that we know if I want to get this, I have to make sure nobody else does or they'll take my share of Jesus. And with good intentions... We can box out those who need Jesus the most. And it's not just this one time that that happens. In Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is on his way and he's, he's in one of the, the occasions where he's traveling and he's teaching. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 13, it says this, Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. You see, we need this story to be reminded that there's times that we think that Jesus is so important that he doesn't have time for the insignificant people. That Jesus has more important things to do than, than to just sit with children. And, and we kind of get this a little bit mixed up today. The world that we live in today in the United States, the family is completely child-centric. Um, a family's success in our world today is when the children are getting good grades and the children are performing well. And it is the job of the parents to do that in the kids. It hasn't always been the way uh, that it's been in our country or the world. Uh, it used to be that children were part of the family to serve the needs of the family and the parents. And so they would go out and help work chores in the fields and so many other things. And so we kind of get this story a little bit twisted. Because we think that Jesus is saying what we assume to be true, which is children are so important that you can't exclude them. In the ancient world, it's, it's really upside down from that. In the ancient world, what he's saying is, I'm going to take this child that you consider to be the least significant person in the room, and I'm going to tell you to get back so I can dedicate some of my attention and time and blessings to them. 
He's turning everyone's expectations about who's important and who's not upside down. When the, uh, the apostles say to these children and families, leave the teacher alone, he's too important for these children, Jesus says, they're too important for me to not bless them. And he stays there until he lays his hands on them and blesses each one of them and he prays for them. And it gives us this incredible tradition that we continue at Northwest today of blessing children and pronouncing God's love and commitment and honor on children. And, and Jesus does this in a way that is saying, you know, listen, you guys, you apostles, you think I'm so important that when a child comes up, you start to box out and say, no, 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 no. Only the important people have access to Jesus. You insignificant people, get out of here. And Jesus says, no, that's not how this works. You don't box out the little people from the kingdom of God. And in Mark 10, we see again, Mark 10, uh, in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and you need to understand where we are in the Gospels at this point. As you come to Jericho, you're only a couple of miles from Jerusalem, and when you get to Jerusalem, they're going to have the, the palm branches that they're laying down at Jesus' feet, and they're going to be crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us. And they're going to be praising Jesus, and they think he's going to the temple to be made king over Israel to sit on the throne of David forever. This is a coronation parade. They're ready to make Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords, to put him on David's throne as they've been praying for, for generations. And as they're on this coronation parade to make Jesus King, and they're exalting him, and they're praising him, and they're so excited, and the anticipation of what is to come is unbelievable. And they came to Jericho. And as Jesus... And his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want for me to do for you, Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He joins the coronation parade that just a few minutes before that, when he was crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, heal me. You're the only chance I ever have to see. And the crowd says, someone tell that guy to be quiet. Jesus is on his way to be exalted. He's on his way to be lifted up. He doesn't have time for the blind. And the apostles in this crowd that are there to lift Jesus up start by boxing Bartimaeus out. And what are their intentions? Over and over again, the people in these stories who are boxing out the people who need Jesus the most have incredible intentions. 
They want to see the teacher and to hear what he says and to see what he does. They want to say, we believe that you are so important that we're not going to bother you with insignificant distractions. They say, we want to exalt you and lift you up, not send you over to the blind person who's trying to distract you from this incredible coronation parade. Jesus, we're making it all about you. And because we want to get the ball so badly, we're going to box out anyone else that tries to get it from us. You will not take away my time with Jesus, my honoring of the Messiah, my crowning of the King. And so we box out those who we don't want to get in front of us in line to be with Jesus. And it's not just these three. We could look at Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who had a crowd push him to the outside and so that he couldn't even see Jesus. But Jesus saw Zacchaeus. We could look to Cornelius, the Roman soldier, uh, who Peter said, God, I will not go to a person like that and give them the gospel. I will not eat that which is unclean. I'm not that kind of a person. And God says, no, Peter, that's exactly the kind of person I need you to be. You have to quit boxing out the people that you don't think are worthy and start letting in the people that I tell you are. And you start hearing stories like uh, the Hellenistic widows that some people said, yeah, we're going to take care of these widows in the church, but only the ones that talk like us and dress like us, not the ones that are a little bit different because they make us uncomfortable. So you box them out. And over and over again, the people that are following Jesus are getting in trouble by Jesus and God and convicted by the Spirit because they're boxing out the people that God wants to be drawn into Him the most. And the crazy thing is that they're doing it with the best of intentions. And the warning is there because we need to know that we too, with great intentions to be near Jesus, can sometimes unwittingly or intentionally without thinking about it, be pushing someone else back because we're so focused on what's in front of us. Jesus, however, doesn't box out, does he? Jesus opens his arms. Jesus offers salvation to all people. Jesus offers grace to all people. And he says that this kingdom is not just for those who are at the front of the line, and it's not just for the ones who woke up early, and it's not just for the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. It's for all the people that you sometimes box out. Jesus is inviting them and calling them into his kingdom. And he dies on the cross so that they might be saved. And what I love is while the followers of Jesus want to box out, Jesus wants to welcome in. And then Paul, as the earliest missionary, comes up with his own strategy for dealing with all of this, which is, as he tells the church in Corinth, he says, I want you to follow my example as I follow Christ. So Paul looks forward to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you as best as I can. Don't let go of me. And then Paul does what we so often forget to do. And he looks back at the person who's behind him who needs to be with Jesus. And he says, give me your hand. I'm not going to box you out. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to you. I'm not going to be so busy learning about Jesus, praising Jesus, exalting Jesus, that I forget that you need him too. And as I follow Jesus, then you follow me, and we'll all get there together. 
It's, it's Paul's incredible missionary vision to realize that so often it's the person right behind us that we're oblivious to who needs us to turn around and invite them to follow Jesus the most. Today is our March for Missions Giving Sunday, and it is about giving, and it is about supporting our missionaries, but it's also important that we spend a month out of every year talking about the people that are behind us that we may forget are waiting to get to Jesus, that we might unintentionally be obstructing them from being where they need to be and who they need to be with. March for Missions calls us for these Sundays every year to do what Paul did and look back and say, you come on up here too. To see the paralyzed lame man and say, listen, you need to be in this house with Jesus more than I do right now. Get in here. That sees the children and says, there's nobody who is too insignificant to be blessed by Jesus. We need the reminder that Christianity is not just about looking forward to Jesus Christ. It is that. But we need the reminder that Jesus is always calling us to look back to the ones that we've become oblivious to and forgotten. And March for Missions invites us to empower our missionaries who intentionally do that here and around the world. It invites us to move our hearts and minds and our eyes to where God wants them to be. Here in just a second, we're going to pass the plate if that's um, the way that you desire to give or make a pledge uh, today. But I invite you not only to be thinking about how you can give to God growing his kingdom through the missionaries that we support. I want to invite you to think of the face of the one person who you've forgotten is behind you wishing they could be closer to Jesus. And be thinking about how you can reach out to them and say, listen, as I follow Christ, why don't you follow me? Because we've all got to get closer to where we need to go. Don, if you could go ahead and come forward with the plate for our March for Missions collection. You know, one of the most incredible missions contributions I ever personally experienced was from one of the members at Northwest. Um, who with almost a single check paid for my entire Guyana mission trip. But it wasn't the size of the check that made the difference to me. They wrote me a letter that came with that check. And the letter said that they wanted uh, to support me on the mission field because of the difference I had made in this person's children's life. And because they had seen me blessing others, they wanted to bless me. And I don't tell you that to tell you that I'm great or whatever. I tell you that to say that the letter that that person wrote me echoes in my heart and mind today when I think of giving to missions. What I would encourage you to do is not only support our missionaries through supporting them financially. Find ways to reach out to them relationally and through letters and through prayer and then let them know that you're praying for them because it's when relationship comes alongside support that missionaries are reminded that not only is God's spirit with them in the mission field, but our spirit goes with them as well and that those relationships hold them close to us and us to them as God uses them in incredible ways uh, throughout the world and even in our local community. You know, at this time, if you've been listening to this and you're thinking, 
I need to respond to the gospel. I need to respond to this invitation to be at a different place in the future than God finds me right now. If you need to respond to the message in any way this morning, uh, please come forward as we stand and worship together.